Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You think you know London? Well, guess again. There are so many incredible gems and hidden histories just waiting to be discovered. In this jam-packed series, we'll take you to every corner of the superb international city that is London. Visiting secret local haunts, meeting the people behind them, and unpacking the history of London through their eyes. Hop in and take a ride with us in the London Black Cab and see this fantastic city in the fast lane. Today I'll be visiting Hampstead, which is located in northwest London. It is one of London's largest and wildest green open spaces with panoramic views of the city. The area is full of charming streets and is brimming with history. My first stop is to meet a local historian to find out about Hampstead's past and why it has remained so untouched from the developing city of London. Welcome to the Old Bull and Bush. My name's Diane Burstein. I'm a qualified London Blue Badge tour guide and I'm here to give you all the information you want to know about Hampstead. What can you tell me about this pub? Well, there's been a pub on this site since the 1720s, although we're actually in an early 20th century building at the moment and we're very near to Hampstead Heath, which was a destination for Londoners, particularly in the early 1900s. So they would have come here for a day out? Exactly, because in 1860, you had a station open. It was Hampstead Heath Station, and it would bring people from East London. So it was very much an East Londoner's day out to go to the famous fair. The fair would happen on the four bank holidays. So the song really sums up coming along, having a good old sing-song at the old bull and bush, having a cockney knees up, really. And we still have the fair here today. People are still recommended, really, to come up to Hampstead if you want somewhere that's just four miles out of London, but with a village atmosphere. I mean, there are some areas which people will call a village, but they weren't actually villages when it comes to London. But Hampstead really was, because you're four to four and a half miles from the centre of London, and people would come by horse and carriage, horse and cart. It really was a bit of a journey up here, because it's one of the highest points. And once you got here, you were in a little village. In fact, the name Hampstead 
it's from homestead, home farm. So there would have been a few farms there, a few dwellings, but it wasn't terribly busy. And when people used to look up at the hills of Hampstead, they would think it was snow-capped because there were laundry women who would do their washing up here. People would send the washing really? up to Hampstead because you had lots of water. Hampstead's history is very much tied up with water and fresh air. And back in the late 17th century, people discovered that there was chilibiot water on the heath. And this had very good healing properties, or so the doctors said. A doctor wrote a pamphlet all about it, and people came here to take the waters. And then they looked around and they thought, well, this is a nice place. I think I'll stay here. And developers started to build houses here. What sort of people did it attract? Well, in the early days, you had the middle classes, but you did have your poorer people. And when you see some of the smaller cottagey type houses, that would have been where the working people lived. But you also had grand houses. You had wealthy merchants here. So, for example, Fenton House, which is now a museum, that was built for a merchant. And of course, there was Kenwood House as well, which is very well known English heritage property. And that for many years was the home of Lord Mansfield, who was the Lord Chief Justice. But you also had a lot of artistic people coming here, writers and artists. The artists were attracted by the fantastic views. I believe that the anti-Catholic Gordon riots had an effect on Hampstead. What can you tell me about that? Well, they certainly did, because living here in Hampstead, in Kenwood House, was Lord Mansfield, Lord Chief Justice. And he was rather a liberal judge. He's associated, for example, with the anti-slavery movement before the abolition of slavery. He made a judgment saying that while on English soil, no man is a slave. He was also in favour of Catholic emancipation. So when they were discussing in Parliament relaxing the laws that persecuted Catholics and didn't allow them to take high office, for example, or worship, he was one of the people who was in favour of relaxing the laws. So he became a target during the Gordon Riots. Now, the Gordon Riots are named after Lord George Gordon, and he was one of the main supporters of a group of Protestants who wanted to march on Parliament to protest against this relaxation of the laws. But things got out of hand and riots ensued. One of the things that the rioters did is let the prisoners out of the prisons. Now, then you're asking for trouble, of course, because you've got people who are criminals who are on the streets of London. They burnt down prisons like the famous clink on the south side of the river. And then they headed to Bloomsbury Square. In Bloomsbury Square was the townhouse of Lord Mansfield. And they succeeded in destroying that. And Mansfield and his wife, Elizabeth, they managed to escape through the back door and up they came to Hampstead, where they thought they would be safe. But the rioters weren't going to leave them alone. They were heading up to Hampstead. And there was Lord Mansfield's nephew, Lord Stormont, and he managed to divert them by encouraging the troops to come out, but also encouraging the rioters to stop and have a drink at the Spaniards Inn, another of our famous pubs here. It's there that the landlord apparently plied them with drink and 
they then got very happy and decided, oh, maybe we won't destroy Lord Mansfield's country <laughs> home. An excellent way to prevent all. a riot. Just get everybody right. drunk. Give everybody okay. drink. Diane, when I'm sort of driving around Hampstead, I often see some curiosities, and one of the ones that fascinates me is the parish lockup. I believe that now it's used as a billiard room, but back in 1730, when the house was first built, we did not have a proper organised police force. You had your local police forces, and if they walked around and they would find you misbehaving, you would be taken to the parish lock-up and maybe locked up overnight. Why was it there? Because at one time a magistrate was living in Cannon Hall. When the Metropolitan Police was founded, then they had another lock-up, which can also be seen near to St Mary's Catholic Church. And there's a little sign on the wall there that says, here was the watch house where the watch used to be, and they would lock people up there. At one time, the land would have been owned by the church, as was most of Hampstead. After the Reformation, you had lords of the manor, and there was a lord of the manor of Hampstead Heath at the end of the 19th century called Thomas Marion Wilson, and he wanted to build houses on the heath. And this is where the people of Hampstead showed their independence. It's a place that's neighbourly, people care about it, and they founded a Save the Heath committee. And Hampstead Heath, unusually, is bigger today than it was in the past. That's because they added to it. So not only did the local committee save the Heath, but also in later years, you had the Hampstead Heath extension, which was added to it in the early 1900s. And then in the 1920s, we had some of the land around Ken Woodhouse when that ceased to be residential. That was added to the Heath. So it's even larger than it ever used to be. As is the case today, many famous people have lived in Hampstead. My next stop was the home of one of the most famous people of the 20th century, Sigmund Freud. I'm meeting with Carol Siegel, director of the Freud Museum. This is the house that Sigmund Freud settled in with his family in 1938 after fleeing as a refugee from the Nazis in Vienna. In this house, he was also able to bring uh, most of his possessions, the famous psychoanalytic couch, his collection of antiquities, his library, his textiles, all here in this North London house. People are often surprised, they don't realise that Sigmund Freud actually finished his life here in London. So the heart of the house for visitors is to see Sigmund Freud's study as it was set up uh, when Sigmund Freud moved in here. It really does take you back to kind of turn of the century Vienna. It's a very atmospheric space, very evocative. A lot of people say they feel as if Sigmund Freud has just walked out of the room. You know, his glasses are still on the desk. You know, for 2,000 objects that he collected all there in the room. You see not only the famous study, but there are quite a number of other spaces in the house. So, you know, this wonderful hallway. As you come up the stairs from the ground floor up to the, the first floor, there's a big wide space uh, which gets lovely uh, late afternoon sunlight. Martha Freud, Sigmund's wife, and Minna, sister-in-law, and Anna, his daughter, used to sit in the late afternoon and chat 
look out at what was going on in the street, mull over the day. I should also mention Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's youngest child, who was the only one of his children who actually followed him into psychoanalysis. The museum does actually have a room dedicated to Anna Freud as well, and she's a very important part of this story and the story of this house. The museum has a very active public programme now as well. What we're trying to do is look at life through a psychoanalytic lens and explore Sigmund Freud and Anna Freud's legacy. And an important part of that is the education programme. It's quite innovative, it's very different from, from ones run in other museums. It's very much about encouraging pupils to kind of think for themselves, to explore some interesting ideas and perhaps to get over some preconceptions about Freud. There's almost always an exhibition by a very interesting contemporary artist and someone who is responding to the house and the collections in it. At the moment, we have an exhibition by an Indian artist, Barty Kerr, and her work is woven through the house uh, in with the permanent collections. And included in the collections, we have some interesting artworks ourselves. There is uh, one piece by Sigmund's grandson, Lucian Freud, which he gave to his aunt Anna and which hangs in the dining room. And we also have a portrait of Freud by Salvador Dali, who was one of the other visitors to him in London in 1938. It's a fascinating small museum. It's in a beautiful house. It contains some wonderful collections, including perhaps the most famous piece of furniture in the world, which is the original psychoanalytic couch covered in this beautiful, uh, rich Persian carpet. Learn more about Sigmund Freud, who, whether you agree or disagree with him, was one of the most influential thinkers of the 20th century. Plenty to see and plenty to enjoy, and all in the atmosphere of a very welcoming uh, family house. a narrow lane off Heath Street, you will find Berg House, a building from the Queen Anne era steeped in 300 years of history. Mark Francis is the director of Berg House and Hampstead Museum. Berg House was saved from the council in 1979 and we're here to keep this beautiful Queen Anne building open to the public for free. We're a museum on the local area, uh, we have an art gallery and uh, a cultural hub for Anything that happens around here, from concerts to talks to workshops with children, it all happens in this building. We're in the Christopher Wade room, named after one of the great gents who saved the house. Christopher Wade was a local historian and wrote many, many books on the local area and the history of it. It has changing temporary exhibitions. The one that you're currently seeing at the moment is a retrospective of a wonderful Hampstead-based artist called Ishmael McWerter. And it allows us to work with people in the community to celebrate the culture around here. So sometimes it will have retrospectives like this one. Sometimes we'll focus on specific parts of history and our own collection to, to show there. I noticed a room downstairs that appeared as almost like a small concert hall. Uh, well, we have a music room. It's a, it's a beautiful panelled room. But the room was always called a music room, even back to the Victorian period in a different shape and form. It had an organ in for the Grills family so they could have their family concerts there. Since the 1970s, it's been a place where musicians can hire to put on lovely recitals. What's the story behind the Hampstead Museum? 
Well, the Hampton Museum was officially accredited in 1991. We were already collecting objects related to the local area. We now have nearly 4,000 objects in our collection, and they range from a great painting collection to fantastic photographs of London and Hampstead to more peculiar objects. There's definitely a set of skis in there somewhere. There, <laughs> there's the famous High Hill Penguin from the bookshop on the high street, which is one of the last remaining penguin display models, to shop signs, odd bricks, even a bag of rusty nails. They've all got a story behind them. They're all incredibly important in terms of remembering the people that lived here, and the art and the creativity that Hampstead inspired over the years. Burghouse was originally built in 1704. It was built on land reclaimed from Hampstead Heath. This was the only building between here and Camden. It was built uh, for a couple called the Sewells, and they were merchants in, in fabric. Um, but more importantly, they were Protestant dissenters, and the reason they chose here was outside of the city of London's boundary, which meant they could practice their religion. At the very end of its life, before the Second World War, its last residence uh, was the daughter of uh, Rudyard Kipling. They lived here until his death. We know he came here an awful lot. And what you see in the house at the moment is a little bit sympathetic to the 20th century, to those early years of the 20th century, when this really was quite a swanky home in Hampstead. But then the war happened and this house was left empty. It survived, not a drop of bomb damage to it, although the area around it was pretty much lost. Come the 1970s, the house was full of rot, it had holes in the roof, and were left with this great unlisted building that no one knew what to do with. And some great residents of Hampstead got together and decided no, we're going to save it, save it for the community. And back in those days, there was Judy Dench and Michael Palin, Melvin Bragg. They all shook their buckets in the high street. And 35 years later, here we are. Hampstead contains many interesting and historical art galleries, houses and museums. We'll now hear from the Cato Gallery's Ian Barrett about a more modern art scene. Hampstead's a unique place to be. The architecture's fantastic around here. You can get yourself lost in all the little back streets. It's just an incredibly charming place and we wouldn't move for the world. Our current exhibition is John Duffin that we've represented now for six years. This is his third solo exhibition. He essentially paints London, although he does do New York and Paris. He's introduced to this exhibition. His unique perspective on his images are that he, he has this view from above, as if you're flying through and over the city. One of my favorite pieces in the current exhibition are the underground pieces. They're lit up, they're atmospheric, uh, they have that late night London feel to them. One of the unique artists that we do exhibit is Ian Berry. When I first saw his work, I wasn't particularly impressed until I was told that it was made out of denim. And at this point I thought, okay, let's have a look at it. It sounds different, it sounds unusual. Ian sent one over to me from his home in Sweden and we unpacked it, put it out into the gallery just to get an idea of what people thought about it. The first person who walked through the door wanted to buy it. 
from that point onwards, we thought, yeah, we've got somebody very, very unique here. You do have to see the work. It is very difficult to convey the quality of the work on a printed page or even on a film. He spends most of his days crawling around on his hands and knees looking for that unique piece that's going to create the images that he does. He's been represented by us for about six years and had... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Three solo shows all have been sellouts. The room we're sitting in at the moment is exhibiting examples of a variety of different artists that we represent, whether it's the sculpture or paintings, but we like to be able to show a number of different artworks at the same time. We represent about six or seven different sculptors. One of our artists, who is James Mortimer, he is also a sculptor as well. It is, in fact, his sculptures that inspire the artworks. We've only just started selling these, but they have a very unique, quirky feel to them and have a slight sense of humour to them that once you've seen the paintings, the sculptures make more sense. Other artists we represent are Mark Hall. He's known as the Conquer Man, although he does an awful lot of other art sculpture. The large cherries that we have here is an outdoor piece, which, again, gives people options where they can put different pieces of artwork. We're currently exhibiting um, Allies by Lawrence Hollisthener outside the gallery at the moment, which is our sculpture. It's uh, Churchill and Roosevelt sitting on a bench that uh, everybody sits between and has their photograph taken on, which is number one selfie spot in Hampstead at the moment. Very, very popular. When it goes, it will be missed because we've had it there 10 years ago and sold an edition at that point. When it disappeared, everybody was, uh, where is your sculpture gone? So we have new pieces every six, six to eight months. 
to keep our program looking fresh and interesting is vital to us. So we, we like to bring in two or three new artists a year. We are approached possibly 25 times a week from all over the world. What we are looking for is something that's unique and of a particular quality. So you have to be quite selective. We represent maybe 50 different artists and we think that most of those have a very unique way of expressing themselves. We try to keep it a very comfortable environment for people to be in, almost like being in their own living room rather than an intimidating gallery space. We change exhibitions every three to four weeks, so whenever you come into the gallery, it looks very different. We try to appeal to a broad collecting base, so all of our artists are very different. Um, it never looks the same. Our window changes every three to four days. We want it to look fresh the whole time. Amongst the many interesting and historical houses in Hampstead, perhaps one stands out, the imposing Kenwood House, which is an English heritage property. Welcome to Kenwood House. My name is Jerzy Kierkuć-Bilinski. I'm the curator of the Ivy Bequest, so I have the rather lovely job of looking after this beautiful 18th century villa and the extraordinary collection of paintings it houses. Could you just tell me a bit about the history of this wonderful building? Well, a house has stood here at Kenwood since about 1616, but really the house as it appears today is the product of two building phases dating to the 18th century. The house was acquired by a Scottish gentleman, William Murray, in 1754. And Murray had trained as a barrister in London, and he's best remembered today as a towering figure of British legal history. Many of the cases he tried concerned the slave trade, and these led to the formation of the first abolitionist movements in this country, which finally came to fruition at the beginning of the 19th century with the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. When he acquired Kenwood in 1754, acquired quite a small, plain house. And he soon realised that this house was rather too mediocre for his purposes. He got a young up-and-coming Scottish architect called Robert Adam to work on the building. Adam remodelled the house, transforming what was a relatively modest villa into this neoclassical uh, building that we see today. He added a beautiful north portico, a grand imposing entranceway to the house. He remodelled the ground floor rooms, most notably erecting a beautiful and celebrated library. It's considered one of Robert's masterpieces in architecture, as well as creating a beautiful south front which overlooks um, the landscape grounds with views down to London. Talking about the library, I noticed the ceiling in there was particularly ornate. Yes, Murray clearly spent all his budget when doing up Kenwood on the library. It was built from scratch, it's not part of the earlier remodelled house. He collected books, he loved books and he employed Adam to create a room, really, that looks back to Roman architecture. Robert had spent four years in the 1750s in Italy, learning about classical architecture, meeting the great European architects and artists who were working in Italy at that time. Once he came back to London and set up his architectural practice, he decided that he would draw upon those lessons. And that's really what the ceiling and wall paintings in the library at Kenwood are. They're not just decorative, they're there to evoke the great Italian collection of classical paintings. 
What can you tell me about the collection within the house? The collection of paintings in the house is relatively small, but it's absolutely choice. Kenwood was acquired in 1925 by Edward Cecil Guinness, the first Earl of Ivy. Guinness was the sole proprietor of the Guinness Brewery when it was floated on the stock market. And at the age of 38, he basically retires. It's quite nice if you can do that. And he indulges one of his pastimes, if you can call it that, was collecting paintings. He, in fact, made his first major purchase of a painting at the age of 27. He buys a Rembrandt. Again, very nice if you've got the money to do that. But once he's retired, he starts collecting in a more concentrated manner. He collects mainly in the 1890s, up until the early 20th century. He acquires a collection of 300 paintings, exceptional works, paintings by Rembrandt, as I say, Hogarth, Vator, but also Guinness forms a taste for 18th century British portraiture. These paintings by artists such as Gainsborough and Reynolds are just coming onto the art market, and Guinness starts collecting them, and he collects the finest examples. Now, in 1925, he decides that he wants to make a gift to the nation, and he acquires Kenwood and the surrounding estate not to live in. He intends to use Kenwood as a setting for 63 paintings from his private collection, which he handpicks. And these are the paintings that you can now see at Kenwood, although the collection has grown. The paintings in Kenwood were intended to create a type of romantic feeling. Guinness wanted you to come to Kenwood, walk through the beautiful landscape grounds, enter this delectable 18th century villa and view these paintings. The idea being that you would have the impression that these paintings have always been here, that this is the taste of an 18th century gentleman connoisseur. But actually, when you look at the paintings he selected, these, are really, these really reflect his own personal interests. He loved field sports, so we have many hunting scenes. He was a fine yachtsman, so we have paintings um, by Turner and 17th century Dutch maritime artists such as Kuyp. He also, quite clearly, looking at the selection here, had an eye for society ladies, because there are very few portraits of men in the collection. The other aspect of his interest as a collector, as a connoisseur, was Dutch art of the 17th century and we have two of the greatest paintings in any collection in Britain, a work by Rembrandt, his portrait of an artist of 1665, and a tiny jewel-like painting by Johannes Vermeer, the guitar player of 1672. These are absolutely exceptional paintings that have an international significance. Now, we talked briefly about the gardens and the grounds. Can we go into a bit more detail? Kenwood was, uh, was quite an extensive estate in the 17th and 18th centuries, and it appears that in the 18th century, the grounds were quite formally designed. In fact, they contained many specimen plants. Um, Kenwood, at that point, belonged to the Earl of Bute, who, as I'm sure you may know, was instrumental in setting up Kew Gardens. And he used Kenwood as a type of retreat to undertake scientific studies and, and experiments. He was interested in uh, botany and science, but also as a place where he could plant some of his specimens, although how they survived and thrived in the rather cold and exposed hills of Hampstead is, is another question. When Lord Mansfield acquired the house in 1754, he started remodelling the grounds, um, turning the formal gardens into a more informal English landscape 
garden. Um, but it's really under the second Earl, the early 1790s, that the grounds take their current form. The second Earl of Mansfield employed Humphrey Repton to remodel the grounds as they appear today. Um, Repton opened up views where you could see uh, London in the distance. So really, as you see Kenwood's grounds today, it's the work of Humphrey Repton. Do you have a particular room in the house that you, you feel more at home in, your favourite room? Well, bar the dining room, which I must say I do love, <laughs> because it's very rich, warm colours, and of course the paintings. The music room is amazing, because you have in the music room some of the greatest paintings, portraits by Sir Joshua Reynolds and Thomas Gainsborough in any British collection. Particularly, uh, Gainsborough's portrait of Mary Countess Howe is an incredible work absolutely monumental painting and beautifully handled as well. The, Gainsborough's handling of the oil paint is absolutely exquisite in that work. Another room I particularly like um, is a very small room, a very intimate space, Lord Mansfield's former dressing room. It was used really by Mansfield as a type of study where he would work over his legal papers and documents and where he would receive his business guests, people he was working with in terms of his legal practice in the centre of London. Its scale, the fact that much of the decorative scheme still survives, does give one a feeling of Mansfield as a man, his presence, and perhaps bring you as close as possible to encountering the person who engaged Robert Adam to create this wonderful house. My next stop is the restaurant Le Gaff, founded in 1962 by Bernardo and Andrula Stella, now managed by their son Lorenzo. It's a family run mm. and people can feel comfortable and feel at home when mm. they're coming here. When I first started here, it was a cafe. Ever since, I never want to move because the place was close to the underground but above all, it gave me the heath, the open space. I came from Italy, from a background of two catering school diplomas. Uh, worked in a French restaurant for three years, with flambe and silver service. So I came to work in a place called the Marylebone Lane, just off Oxford Street. And I was there for three years before I came here. Thing like this. And that's, hence, helped me to, to have La Gaffe. The name was given to me by no, a Spanish au pair. And this lady came, why not Lagaf? Lagaf? What is that? It's a mistake. And then I thought, why not? My wife is Cypriot, I'm Italian, we have a French restaurant in London. As Lagaf is created. So for the first 21 years, we had the French bistro. Initially, when we opened, uh, we just occupied 109 Heath Street. With my mum and dad working very hard, they were able to uh, acquire 107 Heath Street. So able to expand the restaurant outwards. And then again, we're able to acquire 111 Heath Street. So then we're able to vastly extend the restaurant, uh, extend the kitchen. We found ourselves with a lot of space upstairs in the building. So we started to offer rooms. Yes. And over the years, we've evolved. So we've gone from six bedrooms to now, currently, we have 18. When we started, as you see, it's only four dishes. We concentrate on some dishes that are popular and that we like to make, and you know, we give our own twist on it. 
For our wines, we take great care with our selection. We work closely with a few different Italian suppliers. Our, our wines are predominantly Italian, although we do have some New World wines, Argentinian wine we've got on the menu at the moment. So uh, we like to refresh it every so often, see what current trends are. But there are a few core wines that tried and trusted we really enjoy, our customers really enjoy. So the most important thing above all else is that I carry on the traditions that have been put in place by my mum and dad. You know, they've created a wonderful special environment here, a place that has been a home and a haven for so many people over the decades. Always I've been honest and true, and this year, 54 years later, Hidden amongst Hampstead's beautiful architecture are also some fascinating churches. I'm with City of London guide Marilyn Green to find out more. One of the things that fascinates me is the churches here, and I have three churches in particular. What can you tell me about this one, St John's in Church Row? Well, this is very interesting because this is on the site of the oldest church in Hampstead. There's been a church recorded here since the 1300s, but some people think there may have been a church here before that because Hampstead is actually recorded in the Doomsday Book. As I say, it's not the original church now. That church fell to rack and ruin, and by the mid-18th century, the congregation were refusing to come here because it was so dangerous, you know, it's flying oh, on top bad. of them. So the trustees of the church um, actually petitioned to Parliament to see if they would give them £2,500 for the repairs, and they actually refused it. And so the Lord of the Manor of Hampstead donated £1,000, and then right. the rest was donated by public subscription from the parishioners. And famous people associated with the church? Well, my favourite is John Constable. He's got a huge family tomb here. His wife sadly died in Hampstead in 1828 of TB, and he decided at that point he wanted to be buried alongside her. And in fact, six out of their seven children were buried here. But also there's tombs to John Harrison, who discovered longitude, some of the de Morio family, some of the Gilbert Scott family. Uh, there's a whole host of really famous people buried here. Which is what here. you would expect in Hampstead. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to move on now to one of my other churches. So Marilyn St Mary's. It was founded just over 200 years ago in um, 1816, and it was founded by the Abbe Morel, who was actually um, a refugee from France, from northern France. He was a man from the clergy. About 5,000 clergymen came as refugees to England after the French Revolution, and he moved to Hampstead, and he just thought it was fantastic, and he lived here right to his end of his life in 1852. He's buried in the porch of the church, apparently buried in vestments he himself made and that he used to wear for special sacramental occasions. In 1829 um, was the Catholic Emancipation Act. Right, yeah. and, and until then, Catholics weren't allowed to openly practice. So St Mary's Church, um, if you see the road it's in, is just small cottages. Yeah, yeah. So it only actually looked like a small cottage until the 1850s. There was an, another ruling saying that Catholics were allowed to ring church bells. Oh, right. So they changed the frontage of the church in 1850 so that it's got this lovely bell tower and the statue of the Virgin um, on it as well. 
It's had a number of uh, important people associated with it as well. So again, the Gilbert Scott family right. uh, were involved in some of the uh, decorations and interiors for it, and they've worshipped there. Uh, Judy Dench was married there oh, with right. Michael Williams, okay. and they helped with raising funds for right. the church. Also, Graham Greene was married there earlier was he, on the writer? as well. That's right. We're now in Downshire Hill, which is one of my favourite cut-throughs in Hampstead. I use it a lot in the taxi, and I pass this church. Is it a significant church in Hampstead, St John's on Downshire Hill? Uh, yes, it's a very significant church. It's actually Grade 1 listed. The land was bought when they were developing this area in 1813, and it was bought by three people, a builder, a solicitor and a vicar. Oh, very enterprising. Uh, very enterprising. I thought, we'll build this church for the people who live in this road. It's one of the only churches which has still got the original pews from the 18th century. The clock on the front is from 1823. It's original to the church, built by a clockmaker in Clerkenwell. The church actually continued in use until about 1916, when it was bought by one family that rented it at a peppercorn rent to, as long as there was a congregation. They said, don't sell it, just uh, keep it going. And he, he died in... 1938 and it just continued in that way until the 2000s and then it wasn't until 2003 that the congregation actually bought the church themselves so the church as I say is completely independently run Wow, so Hampstead certainly has got some history attached Indeed, to its yes. churches Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.